This message was presented at the GYC conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. All right, we just finished part one, which was be done with fear. And now we're going to talk about be done with doubt. And so we want to uh, introduce this by telling you that everybody, by the grace of God, has a seed of faith. Isn't it? Even if it's just a tiny mustard seed. We'll talk about that a little bit more. But let me say this, and I may reemphasize this toward the end. You cannot live without trust. Let me illustrate. You're sitting in these seats. You're comfortable. You're calm. But if the building begins to shake, what happens to your behavior? Especially you from California. (laughs) What happens to your behavior? I'll be right behind you. Because suddenly your trust in the building changed. So everything that you do, you're doing by trust in something or someone. What God asks us to do is to have faith in him, and we have to nurture that. So we're going to talk about be done with doubt. So the magnitude of, of the role played by faith. Now, this is from Patriarchs and Prophets. And Pastor Paul, this, this, this is almost an incomprehensible statement. Would you read it for us? Every failure on the part of the children of God is due to their lack of faith. Yeah. Everything. Can you imagine? Not 50%, not 75%, 100% of the failure, you can trace it to lack of faith. How many of you like to succeed? Let me see your hands. I, and I don't like to fail. But this is saying that every failure is, the, is due to... Now, this is why the devil hates this subject. He really hates this subject. All right, let's go. Let's go to the, here's the greatest need of the church: a fuller sense. This is coming from pipe, um, prophets and kings. A fuller sense of God's relationship to those whom He's purchased with the gift of His Son. A greater faith in the onward progress of His calls on earth. I want to stop right there. Even if it looks like that God's work is not making progress, it's still making progress, and I have faith that it's going to succeed. It's going to succeed. I don't care how many doubters you run into. I don't care what the circumstances look like. I don't care if half of Israel apostatizes. God's cause is going to succeed. And it succeeds on faith. A greater faith in the onward progress of his cause on earth. Now listen to this. This goes along with the other one, Pastor Paul. This is the great need of the church today. The great need of the church today. Now, the next part, I should have emphasized that too. Because you like this one, and I like it too. Yeah. Listen to this. Let none waste time in deploring the scantiness of their visible resources. Now, I'm going to stop right there. You don't don't have to raise your hand because I already know the answer. How many of you need more money? How many need more money for ministry? How many times have you said, Lord, you know, if you just give me some more money, I could. Hmm? Everybody in the room. But Pastor Paul, 
this says don't waste time worrying about that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yes. Don't even waste time. No. Don't waste time thinking about it. Because if you start thinking about those visible resources, it starts to hurt your faith. And you want to build your faith. Yes, go ahead. Yes. That means there are two kinds of resources. The visible and the invisible. And we have a whole topic on this, if you wish, that many times we are afraid because we only think of the visible. The visible ones. You see, uh, Elisha and the servant, the one said, alas, because you only counted, counted to him and Elisha. But Elisha said, no, don't be afraid because those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Maybe the servant started to say, oh, Elisha is really too old. He cannot even count. One, two, more than, uh, more than what? But it's the way to count. What do you count? The, only the visible or the invisible as well. And it is here, let not waste time in deploring the scantiness of their visible resources. The outward appearance may be unpromising. When you count your money, you count what you have, may be unpromising. But listen to this. But energy and trust in God will develop resources. That means faith, trust is faith. And energy, effort, work and faith develop resources, convert. So if you have faith, you can convert through faith the invisible resources into visible resources. And that's why, that's why the, the five uh, loaves of bread and the fish, uh, what happened? It, they were converted and then that was the visible ones. But the invisible is the counted, the amount that was there to feed this big crowd. Amen. So I'm going to tell a story. I'm going to tell a story, and this happened recently, not that long ago. But we have a, a, a ministry. It's not run by the Michigan Conference. All the Michigan Conference has been wonderful in supporting it and encouraging it. Uh, it's called Strong Tower Radio, and the goal is to cover the entire state of Michigan in radio. Uh, in fact, we prayed for that many years ago, and we forgot about the invisible sources, and everything we seemed to do just didn't work. But God never forgets prayer. And all of a sudden, he sent somebody into Michigan and to a place called Cadillac, Michigan, which would not be the place you would start anything, they didn't come with any money. They didn't come with anything except a desire. And God opened the door for them to buy a license, and they started a radio station and called it Strong Tower Radio. And God just keeps opening doors. Finally, they've covered the entire state, uh, I mean, the, all, all of the Upper Peninsula. We're covering now, right now about 40% of the state of Michigan. And it's just radio station after radio, and they don't have any money. Let me, when we were in Lansing, I was, I was, had not retired at that point. And we had moved a pastor into Lansing, West Peppers. You ever know who West Peppers is? And he had been up in Traverse City and some other areas. And they'd seen people walking into their churches as a result of Strong Tower Radio. 
And that thrills your heart. I've seen it too. I mean, I was walking into one church and a lady was, had two kids in tow. And I said, hi, I'm Jay Gallimore. She said, this is my first time here. She says, you know, uh, dad is coming. But she said, um, uh, you know, we've been listening. We've been listening. So there it was just, I was in another church and at fellowship lunch, there was a man and his wife and three teenage kids. And that was the first Sabbath there because they'd been listening. See, God is at work. He's at work. So Wes Peppers moves down. And he comes to me and he says, we got to have, we got to have strong tower radio in Lansing. You know, Lansing, where we had not penetrated were the big cities in the lower part of the state of Michigan. We've been upper peninsula and upper lower peninsula. We were covering pretty good, but we had not penetrated this. He said, we got to have this. But he says, you know, I keep begging him. And they said, there's no stations, no stations. There haven't been any stations. And like two days later or something, he calls me up or gets a hold of me. And he says, hey, there's a station available. So I said, well, wonderful. Fine. So they went and found out about it. And they wanted $320,000. Well, even for the Lansing area, $320,000. I mean, they're running schools. they got all kinds of stuff. This is not something that's just real easy. So we all kind of talked about it. I said, you know, you know, we're going to be we're going to be behind you. So they did. They put down money on it, and I watched the fundraising, and it got within oh about a hundred thousand dollars. And then you know things slow down, and then you wonder, faith, faith. You know, you say, Lord, you you got to do the rest of this. And then, and then at the last minute, God, somebody I don't even know to this day, unexpectedly sent some people money, some money, and it finished off that thing. And there was another group, our Roman Catholic friends, who went to these folk and said, look, if the Adventists don't want it, we'll write you a check. So we're broadcasting. And then uh, not too long later, I had... I had uh, Bob Stewart. He was, he was district superintendant. And he calls me up on the phone. He says, Jay, he said, I need to come over and see you. I said, sure, come on. But I said, uh, you, don't you want to talk to about it on the phone? Save your trip. You know, he said, I'm going to see you face to face. I said, okay. So come on over in the morning. So he came over. He sat down. He said, Jay, there's a radio station available. And he lays it out. Now, Grand Rapids is a big city compared to Lansing. He laid it all, and we sat there, and our, you know, our mouth watered at how great this was going to be. And then I looked at him, and I said, and so how much? He said, $1.5 million. We both got real quiet. I can remember praying and saying, Lord, where's that going to come from? I know those churches. I didn't hear an audible voice, but I heard the Lord say, Jay, I can raise $1.5 million as easy as I can raise 300000 I looked at Bob and said, we've got to have that station. So here we went. We launched out to, uh, to raise that. And I watched the fundraising. You know, we had the big rally over there, and you watch that fundraising climb $900,000. And I'm sitting there looking at it, and I'm saying to myself, yeah, and there's another 600000 nearly to go. Climbed slowly, another 50,000, slowly, finally got up, I don't know, about 1.2 or 
3. By the way, they went to the station like they did the other one, and they said, uh, you know, we'll, we'll offer you a lot lower, and they laughed. And they said, you want this radio station? We've already got offers within 10% of the asking price. You'll pay the asking price. I watched it. At the last minute, somehow, some way, God sent them the rest of the money. And we're broadcasting over the state. I mean, over the grand city of Grand Rapids, Michigan. Listen, and now they're launched. I don't know if I can say this out loud, but we're, we're, we want to cover Kalamazoo. We're hungry to cover Detroit and all of that southeastern part of Michigan and, and those kind of, and God's going to do it. I'm, I'm not, I'm not being presumptuous. I'm telling you, God wants to get the third angel's message out. He wants that radio. And I believe that we will see that broadcasting over the entire state of Michigan. And sooner is better. Sooner is better. So God is able to do marvelous things. So don't waste time deploring the scantiness. Go forward in faith, believing. All right. One of the curses of ancient Israel was living in doubt. Remember the blessings and the curses? Listen to this. This is Deuteronomy 28, 66. You're, this is one of the curses. Your life shall hang in what? Do you know anybody that that's all they do is live in doubt? I mean, that's where they hang out. That's the person they hang out with. They hang out with doubt. They don't hang out with faith. You need to be hanging out with faith. Faith will encourage you and help you and change. By the way, faith creates something where there's nothing. No, let me rephrase that. Faith in God creates something where there is nothing. Even the Apostle Paul says that God creates the seen out of the unseen world. And he'll do that in your life. He'll do it in my life. He'll do it in your ministry. Okay, so... uh, Don't hang out with doubt. Hang out with faith. You shall fear. There it is. Day and night. Why? Because they're doubting and have no assurance of life. We don't want to live our lives in doubt. We don't want to live our lives in fear. As Christians, we want to be dynamic Christians filled with faith and moving God's work and watching God work. We're doing that not for our glory, but for the glory of God. And so that we can see him do mighty things and he gets the glory. I like what my... my, uh, my comrade here said, he doesn't know I'm going to say this, so I'm going to say it anyway. But uh, do you remember this statement? If you don't, I'll finish it. Um, God gets the glory, but we get the joy. Yes. See? I remember that a lot. Yes. God gets the glory, and we get the joy. I want you to say all that with me now. God gets the glory, and we get the joy. Don't you like joy? Yeah, it's joy. Are we rejoicing over those radio stations? Oh, absolutely. Rejoicing over what God has done. All right. The results of unreasonable doubt and cynicism. We live in a cynical world. Have you noticed? Yeah, yeah. Everybody's cynical. So were the children of Israel. This really blows my mind. This is like two or three months after they went through the Red Sea on dry ground, after they saw all of Egypt devastated, and listen to what they're saying. Talk about cynicism. Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt. You know, you want to say, what? They, all they could remember were the flesh pots and the cucumbers or whatever they ate, their bread, 
That's all they could remember. But they forgot about the slavery. They forgot about the whips. They forgot about all that that brings. And here they were free. Wow. It's amazing. All right. Faith is built on evidence and reason. By the way, Dawkins. You know who Dawkins is? He's the high priest of evolution. By the way, evolution's got one foot in the grave and another on the banana peeling. I'm, I'm serious. This stuff is bad. It's, this stuff doesn't have anything to it. It's just, and it's getting worse for them all the time. I just read something just the other night that they've now discovered, studying the DNA, that animals and humans arose about the same time. That's devastating to evolution. On top of that, they say it looks like, according to the DNA, it rose about 6,000 years ago. We could have saved them so much time and money, they just read Genesis. <laughs> All right. Dawkins, he states that religious faith does not depend on rational justification. This is their big deal. And claims that religious demand unquestioned faith. His implication is that religious belief is never based on evidence or perhaps that it exists despite the evidence and he couldn't be further from the truth. Faith rests on evidence, not proof, but evidence. What's one of the things the Apostle Paul says that you can know about the existence of God? He says, just look around you. Everything you see is evidence. I'm here. That's evidence. This is Ellen White. This is very fascinating and opposite of Dawkins. God never asked us to believe without giving sufficient evidence upon which to base our faith. He didn't say all evidence, sufficient. His existence, his character, the truthfulness of his word are all established by testimony that appeals to our reason. And this testimony is abundant. Yet God has never removed the possibility of doubt. You can, if you want to doubt, you can find a coat hanger to hang it on. Our faith, this is, I've emphasized, must rest upon evidence, not demonstration. Those who wish to doubt will have opportunity, while those who really desire to know the truth will find plenty of evidence on which to rest their faith. I mean, what have the atheists got us? Where have all these faithless people and God, what, what are they doing to the nation? I mean, look at the nation. Look at what the fruit the stuff is bearing. It's madness. It's craziness. Okay. So there is. So let's talk a little bit about some examples of nurturing faith. Now, we told you that, and we'll bring that statement up, that you're, everybody has faith. What you have to do, Pastor Paul, is to nurture that faith. Tell us how Gideon nurtured his faith. The Bible says that God has put a measure of faith. That is in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Uh, nurture. That means he has put a kind of a dose of faith in our heart. We are actually people of faith. It's so hard not to believe. Not to believe in something. We live by faith. A natural faith. You have talked about that. Yes. So uh, there is this uh, dose of faith in us. God has put that in our heart, in our lives. And it, it is up to us to nurture this through the grace of God. And Gideon, 
He had his faith. He was afraid to begin with. You remember? Because of the harassment of the enemies, he had to hide the products and did everything. And here, God said, okay, you are going to deliver my people. And he said, me? (laughs) No, not me, Lord. He was afraid. He had uh, hesitation or even doubt. But it's good. He did not run away. But he proceeded to nurture his faith. What did he do? He, He became closer to God. He was talking to God. He said, okay, if this is you, God, please do this. That means he engaged God. He became closer to God. So nurturing our faith is to be closer to God. Studying the word of God, praying, and the more we know God, this is what Gideon did. He studied about God more and he knew God. And the more you studied about God, the more he was in touch with God, in relationship with God, then his faith grew and he became bold and he accepted. So we, uh, this is hope for us. Probably we don't have great faith now. But you know, if you follow the example of Gideon, we become bold. Amen. Before you get away from that, though, I wanted to go back to this point. When God commanded Gideon to take down that bell aisle, he did it. He did. So your faith begins to increase as you begin to obey God. Take that step of obedience. Now, his faith still needed a lot of growing because he had all those Midianites. But you got to give him credit for going out there and chopping down those idols and burning them one night. That, that was a big step of faith. Moses also was kind of tempted, I mean timid. He didn't want to do that. In fact, he actually made God mad. I mean, in a nice way. Although I wouldn't ever want get God to get angry with me, would you? No, no. Well, people don't like that me to say that. But the fact is that God is not angry like we think of anger. But he is just. And Moses kept saying, oh, God, get somebody else. Oh, God, get somebody else. Oh, God, you know, let me tell you, I'll give you a whole list of some other folk that could do this. And the Bible says that God finally just was angry. You know, to Moses' credit, he called on. Now, I want to tell you this. Don't line up to do Moses' job. Moses was not dumb. He was really smart. He, He could look at this thing, and he could figure what he was going to get into. And he said, oh, no, I don't want that job. But as his faith grew, we see Moses become one of the most powerful leaders that the world has ever seen. Look at the miracles. Look at what, you know, one of the pictures that I have of Moses is just so powerful. There you you got the army of Pharaoh. And they're up next to the Red Sea, and you got people all around him just scorning him and saying, Why didn't we just die? Why didn't you just, why did you bring us out here in the wilderness? What's wrong? You know, we're going to get killed. There's a sea there, there's the army there. Why did you do this to us? And he just ignores them. And he says, Stand still and see the power of 
God. That wind blew all that night by morning light. The ground was dry and they walked through millions of people and their animals. It's an incredible, it wasn't a little path, by the way. This thing moved. Took them a day to get through there. It was a marvelous, marvelous thing. That's what happens when you nurture faith, Paul, and you draw close to God. Now, you, you told me this, so I'm going to use the word. Okay. You told me that you were a pagan. Is that true? That's true. And, and now, so how did, how did faith get started in your life? And how did it grow? Thank you. As I told you already, uh, originally from the beautiful island of Madagascar, this is in the Indian Ocean, not far from the mainland Africa. And uh, I didn't grow up in this faith. Actually, I was a pagan. Our religion, the true religion in the house is paganism, animistic religion, worshiping idols and uh, especially invoking spirit. So that was, that was our religion. Yes, we went to church maybe once in a while, but the true religion of the family is paganism or animistic religion. And I grew up in that environment. In, I was totally in darkness. And my, uh, my father was a, a traditional chief. And you know, a chief is also a custodian of tradition. That means uh, religion, religion of the ancestors. So he initiated me of that because I was the first male born. Uh, and uh, he said uh, in his plan, probably I will succeed him. So I, he started to, to teach me how to do this and start with the genealogies because you need to know the name, the name of the ancestors so that you can invoke them. Uh, the idea that they are not dead, actually you can still communicate with them. So I was totally in darkness. But one thing, I, I like reading books. So one day, I, uh, I saw a book, and it, it reads New Testament and Psalms. And they said, whoa, I would like to read this book. And during that time, during that time, I was taking care of the cattle of the family at the same time. So it was summertime, and it was so, so nice, and I had plenty of time. It was easy to do. So I spent a lot of time reading, reading the book. I wanted to know God. I knew that I, God has put that faith in me or as it is written in the Bible. I didn't know then. So I read this book from the beginning till the end. And something happened, especially when I read the part of Jesus Christ, crucified, crucified. And they said, I would like to know this man. And something changed in my heart. I didn't know that that was conversion. I didn't know that that is a, the growth of faith. And then 
I gave my life to Jesus. In darkness, God put light. And I nurture that without me knowing it through reading the Bible. Um, this is a long story about my conversion, but let me give you the summarized version of it. And then, during that time, I, I was not allowed to go to school because I was poisoned. And uh, I was sent home to die. I was sent home to die, a lot of jealousy, because around uh, people started to see, oh, he has a lot of potential, probably will go high, so let's finish him. So, Someone gave me a poison, and that was a natural. It's not. It's like a. Tra- it's a, a traditional poison that undo that uh, a poison that undoes uh, your your system, and it may take six months for you to die, little by little. Gradually, you are dying. So for about six months, I was dying. Finally. Um, I was just very skinny, dying, and the doctor called my dad, said, Sir, we have done everything, and now you, you bring your boy. I was a teenager then. You bring your boy uh, home, and that means finished. People were uh, waiting for the announcement. Of course, I didn't die. That's why I'm here. Uh, but, uh, but uh, it, was, it was hard. So people are waiting for the announcement. The first day I didn't die. The second day. And the, about the third day, there was a man. Was a, he worked with us, but he left when I was about, uh, about four years. And then he came back when I was a teenager. And he looked at me. What happened to him? And then the family said, you know, uh, he's so sick. Um, he, he is going to die. And he said, no, I know how to do this. So you gave me something to just counteract the poison, and I took that. And lo and behold, I started to get well. Started to get well. After just a month, my system just got back. But my mom, and my mom said, no, I'm not going to allow you to continue to study. Finished. Otherwise, they will kill you again. They will poison you again. You just be a farmer like us. And I love studying. So for me, it was just like announcing death, stopping me studying. But my mom was strict, stubborn in, in a positive way. He said, no, you cannot. Finally accepted. That's why I ended up I ended up uh, uh, taking care of the cattle, and I was reading the book of Psalm and the New Testament and changed my life. And now, when Jesus Christ entered into my life, the idea of not continuing studying became unbearable. My li- you know, the Bible uh, opens your mind more. So for me, I couldn't have this idea of not continuing. So I pleaded with my mom, Mom, I, no, thing will, no thing will happen to me now. God is with me. I'm no longer afraid. So my faith was growing, nurtured by the word of God. And the prayer, it was small, 
but it was growing, nurtured by, by this. But my mom said, no way. I'd rather have you here alive than going to school dead. So stay here. Finally, I asked my dad, Dad, can you just talk to my mom? Uh, nothing will happen to me. He said, you know, you, you know your mom, once she decides on something, it's hard to change her mind. And said, you try. He said, well, I don't promise, but um, I will try. So after 15 days, he came back. He said, son, I think you are going to start study while going back to school. I was so happy. But in our place, there was no school for me. I had to go to another place. And I lived with my cousin in a big town. And there, I saw the complete Bible. Not only Psalms and New Testament, but the Bible. And I started to read the Bible again. And that way, my faith was nurtured. Um, and the Lord, the Lord's really blessed. I, I, was the, I was looking for the true church. Left the paganism and serve the Lord. And I will tell you the remaining later on. But now, I'm just saying that God has put faith in our heart. And it's up to us, by the grace of God, to exercise that faith. Through the word of God, through prayer, through dedicating our lives to God, and then that little faith will grow. And you can face and you can move mountains. Amen. You're going to want to hear the rest of that story. It's, uh, I think you're going to do that when we're paying the price. We talk about paying the price. Yes. You're going to tell yeah. the rest of that story. Um, but it works, as, it works in your life, even though you came from a pagan background. It'll work in everybody's life. And more and more in America, we're living in a pagan world, are we not? And uh, people, we need to nurture that faith. Here's Jesus' uh, uh, teachings. And examples on faith versus doubt. And, uh, and this is a really powerful one. And we want to spend a few minutes on this. This is the centurion. The centurion, you know the story, so I'm not going to tell the story, but we want to analyze it with you. The centurion is not a Jewish person. Uh, he really isn't, he, but he's, got, he's heard about Jesus, and he's got a sick servant that he really, really likes. And this is what he said to Jesus when Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. This is the heart of this thing. And the centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. Now, the thing that marveled Jesus is this next statement. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another he come, and he comes, and he says to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled, and he said, assuredly, I've not found such great faith, no, not in Israel. What is it that just, in, in essence, just, um, just filled the mind of Jesus with a marvel of this thing, that this man was such a man of faith? And he says, not even in Israel. Now, I'm going to pause here, and I say this with sweet kindness, and I have three fingers pointing at myself, so I'm not being accusatory. Why are we still here? 
It's because of doubt and unbelief. We are going to have to have a generation in this church that understands clearly what the centurion understood. Now, let's take a look at what the centurion understood. The centurion had reason from cause to effect. First of all, he knew about the mighty works of Jesus. That was obvious, or he would not have shown up and said, please heal my servant. See, he understood these works. He'd seen them. And he also understood, number three, that there was an unseen authority slash power that was far greater than his. So he, under, he equated his own power and authority. He's a man under the Roman power and authority. When they say to him, go, he goes. He has servants and a hundred soldiers. And when he says to them, you go over there and you go over there and you do this, they don't question. They just say, yes, sir, and they do it. He equated that. He made a, not a contrast, but a parallel. He was humble. He said, look, I'm not worthy, not because he didn't want the presence of Jesus, but because he knew how much a greater power Jesus was than anything he had seen in the world, including the Roman world. And the Roman world had lots of snap, crackle, and pop. They had a lot of lights. They had a lot of power. And he says, this Jesus... He's got something that I have not seen anywhere in the civilized world. And he knew, number two, five, that Jesus was commanding these powers. So he was basically saying to Jesus, you are not who you appear to be. You look like you're just a, a human being in Galilean clothes, but you are not who you appear to be. In order for you to do these mighty works, you must have under you great powers and beings that we cannot see. Coming back to those resources that you cannot see, this guy understood that. He said, Jesus has got huge resources that you can't see. And just when I say to a soldier, you go and do this, and he does it, Jesus can command these resources, these beings, and they immediately move to do what he tells them to do. They say, yes, sir, to Jesus, and they do it. And when Jesus heard that, he said, I haven't found such great faith. No, not in Israel. Let me tell you, this Jesus that you and I serve, I call him the incomparable Jesus, the incomparable Jesus. There's no one like him. He has huge forces at his fingertips. And when he gives the command, they move. And what we need to do in the church is become so united with one another and with Jesus that when Jesus says, Jay, go, I just say, yes, sir. I don't question. I just do it. Jesus wants to do that in your life and my life. But we've got to nurture this faith. We need faith like this centurion. Listen, if this centurion can have it and he didn't have the Torah, he didn't have all these things, all he had was the example of what Jesus done. Look what we have at our fingertips. Can we not, by the grace of God, grow in faith and finish the work in this generation? Amen. Can do it. But you can't wait. And I love the general conference, okay? So this is not negative. You can't wait for the general conference. You can't wait for your local conference. You can't even wait for your local church. We got to move.
All right, so many in Israel, despite the Torah, didn't get it. And I think I'm pretty well uh, gone over that, so I'm not going to. Okay, this is another one that I love, and we, we're going to talk about her for just a minute. I, I can hardly hold back the tears sometimes when I read this Syrophoenician. Do you know anything about the Phoenicians? They're not good people. The archaeologists have discovered thousands of clay pots with little babies in them that have been sacrificed. Now, we're doing that with abortion in this country. Somebody should have said, yep. We're sacrificing millions of unborn babies on the altars of our lust in this country, the Western world. But let me tell you about the Phoenicians. The Phoenicians worshipped Baal. That was a big thing. And they had all these priestess and priests, and they were all prostitutes. So people were going out there expanding their lust. Babies would be conceived, born, and then sacrificed to their gods. That was the way they had their lust, but no responsibility. But the Syrophoenician woman, and that was her background. That's what she had seen all her life. I don't know that she participated in it, but that's where she came from. But she had heard about Jesus. She didn't know, she'd never met Jesus. She had only heard about him. And the reports were true. She knew those reports were true. She has a daughter that's viciously possessed by a demon. And you know how Jesus just ignored her. And finally the disciples said, send her away. And Jesus says, you know, I'm sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And she comes back and she keeps... I was listening to it on the way down here as I was listening to Matthew and Mark. And they both were telling a story. And, and she just presses her way. And finally Jesus... You know, this is almost insult. Most people would say, okay, yeah, all right. I get it. I'm, I'm out of here. All right. I'm out of here. But listen. This woman's faith... So Jesus says, almost insulting. It's not because, as Desire of Ages tells us, she could tell in his voice there was compassion. But still, most people would have. It's not right, she says, to take the food that belongs to the children and give it to the little dogs. We have a chihuahua in our house. It loves my wife. It has no life except when my wife is home. But it is always, when we sit down to eat, it is always at the table. Not up at the table, but on the floor. And uh, so we have worked out a system where she gets little treats while we eat. You know, I've got them right there on the edge of the table and I just push it off. And she's waiting. She's waiting. She's waiting. That's the picture. But she says, Lord, even the little dogs... Get the crumbs. Once again, Jesus says, I've not found such faith. She didn't know a lot, but she knew that Jesus could help her. And persistence is part of faith. By the way, I'm not going to tell you the story because it's too personal. But I can tell you that I've been, I, went, I started going to the Lord just about on the hour, every hour, and saying, Lord, 
I'm pestering you over this, but I'm not pestering you because you told me to, not to give up. You told me to keep coming back. I'm telling you, Lord, this is what I need. And I just kept going back. And I kept going back. And, you know, the Lord marvelously answered my prayer. It's just marvelous. You be persistent with the Lord. The Lord invites you to be persistent. This woman had never heard that, and she was persistent. Be persistent with God. It's an exercise of faith. The more persistent you are, the more your faith will grow. Uh, I learned that, and I've told this story somewhere too before, but they're not recording this, and if you've heard it, you'll forgive me. But uh, my little girl was six years old, and she loves animals. And we never had little animals in our house. And she came to me at six, and she said, Daddy, can I have a bird for my birthday? I said, well, honey, I said, Birds, they make messes, you know, so who's going to clean up the mess? Birds have to be fed and watered. Oh, I will, Daddy. I will, Daddy. I said, well, we'll see. That meant maybe yes and maybe no. So I, I was always up much earlier in the morning than the family, and so I was up in my study, and I heard little footsteps coming up the stairs early in the morning. Knocked on the door, put a little face in the crack of the door. I said, Daddy, can I come in? I said, sure. She comes up. She crawls on my lap. She covers my face and kisses. And then she looks at me and she said, Daddy, can I have a bird for my birthday? I said, well, honey. I said, birds make messes. They have to be fed. I'll take care of it, Daddy. Who's going to water the bird? I, you know, I went through the list. I had a whole list. I said, we'll see. The next morning, little footsteps up the stairs, face in the door. Can I come in, Daddy? Yes. Climbs up on my lap, covers my face and kisses. I'm not kidding you. That went on for weeks. <laughs> I'd already decided she's going to get a bird for her birthday, but I wasn't dumb enough to put an end to that. That's why your Heavenly Father wants you to be persistent in your faith. He loves you. Never lose faith in this. My little girl never lost faith in my love. She never lost faith in my ability to give her what she wanted and needed. And she kept at it. And she got it. Our Heavenly Father loves, He wants us to be persistent because He wants to develop a relationship with us. And that's exactly what I was doing with my little girl. I was enjoying the relationship. Why shouldn't I? That's what she, this lady did, and what a wonderful story that is. Haven't seen faith, no, not in Israel, like this. This lady believed in the power, and don't you lose this. She believed in the power of Jesus. A lot of people believe in the power of Jesus. A lot of people believe in the mercy of Jesus. But a lot fewer people believe in the willingness of Jesus. She believed in all three, and because she believed in all three, she persisted. The power of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus, and the willingness of Jesus. All right, here's some reasoning that was devoid of faith and 
trying to watch the time here, and I'm just uh, just about out. Well, you know what? I think, uh, Pastor Paul, we want to skip down to the end here. Reasoning without faith is a result of two things, not understanding the power and the love of God for us, and then forgetting all of his benefits. I can't uh, tell you about that. This is one, and I know I've only got 10 minutes. We've got to talk about this for just a few moments. How to increase your faith. Now, the disciples went to Jesus. How many of you want to increase your faith? You wouldn't be in here if you didn't want to increase your faith. I'll put both hands up there. I want to increase my faith. Pastor Paul, you want to increase your faith? Yes. Amen. Because yes. <laughs> we want to move mountains. Amen? Amen? Don't you want to move mountains? Rebuke the winds and move mountains. That's what we want in our life. And... Um, so anyway, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. So the Lord said, if you have faith. Now notice that he doesn't answer the question directly. He only says, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed. Now last night we were sitting across the table talking about this. Yeah. Or sitting at the, yeah, it was a table there. Uh, tell, tell me why, and you answered something for me that I just hadn't picked up before. What about this mustard seed business? Now we don't have very much time, so we've got to go right to it. Yes. Um, you see... The apostle asked the Lord, increase our faith. And then Jesus Christ started to tell, he said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, so you will have a great faith. What is the meaning of this? If you study carefully the text, it is clear that the answer to that question is that if you keep asking, if you keep exercising your faith, even if it is small, it will grow. That is the key. Do you want your faith to be increased? This is the key, Jesus Christ said. Keep on exercising your faith. It is just like exercising our, uh, our body. If you go to the gym, to begin with, that little, little weight, it, it, it is hard. Then you keep doing it, what will happen? It will grow. It's just grinding. I remember when I decided to run marathon to begin, it, it was hard, but it keep on hiding. And finally, I, I managed to run even ultra marathon. Why? Because I exercised. I exercised. The same thing. We don't have strong faith because we don't exercise our faith. So Jesus said, okay, let me give you an answer. To your request, exercise your faith. Amen. Nurture it, exercise it, and yes. you nurture it by watering it with the Holy Spirit. Yes. I mean, and with the Bible and uh, Spirit of Prophecy and those wonderful things that we have. And, f and uh, gratitude waters your faith. And then Jesus gives this thing. Uh, and notice this. He says, and which of you having a servant plowing or sh tending sheep will say to him when he's coming from the field, come in at once, sit down to eat. So he gives a parable to answer this, this uh, thing. Prepare something for supper, gird yourself, and serve me till I have eaten and drunk, and afterward you will eat. Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded? So likewise, if you want to grow your faith, this parable, and it's almost a puzzling parable. So likewise, when you have done all these things which you are commanded, say we are unprofitable servants. We've only done what our duty to do. So Jesus starts out saying if you had a servant, what, what, this is what you would expect out of him. Now let's go and look at the parallels here. If you have faith, uh, uh, if you have a faith seed, use it and it will grow. Number two, if you have a servant whose duty it is to serve you, what are your expectations? 
if you hire that person and you pay him good wages, what do you expect? You expect him to do what you told him to do. Am I right? And you don't expect him to go out and brag to everybody that he owns the company. Am I right? It is, if it's your duty to serve the Lord Jesus, what are his expectations? Who gets the credit for building a beautiful building? The owner who paid for it or the people who nailed the nails? People paid for it. I've seen many beautiful buildings, homes, and you talk to the owner. When you see the owner, you say, this is a beautiful home that you have, you know? But there's no plaque on the wall that says, John Doe here nailed all the nails in this building. There's no, there's no plaque like that. Why does the owner get the credit? He made the decisions. He had the resources. He made it happen. So what is the role of humble trust and obedience in strengthening our faith? When you see God by, when you see God by radio stations in Grand Rapids, when you see God by radio stations in Lansing, nobody can take the credit for that. Because we could never have done it. Who's the owner? Who gives the orders? And who gets the credit? And we get the joy. I've got five minutes for questions and comments. If I don't see any, I'll finish this up. Okay, right there. I wanted to know who ended up taking care of the bird. <laughs> she did, and she was good at it. There's some parenting in there, too, you know. Okay, any other hands or comments? I've got about four minutes, okay? He was commenting about the power of the word in his life. The Lord took me from a 2.0 to a 3.7 when I started studying God's word. So God's word makes you smarter. Oh, yeah. Amen. Okay, somebody else? Yes. Um, this is just an encouragement quote. Um, when you were talking about Moses, it reminded me of the quote that says, um, God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the cold. Good, good, excellent. All right, right over there, and let me go over there. Let's see, who, who right here? Thanks so much for the study. Um, I was just wondering, you know, God is like, he's our father, and he loves us so much. So um, going there every day with the same thing every, every single day, and he says, I know what you need. You know, some, that one, you know, I just, I just feel like, you know, <laughs> why should I go back every single day? This is what I need every single day. You know, he's not understanding it. I understood it when my little daughter was coming in every day. I knew what she wanted, but I also wanted that relationship, and that relationship then grows. Pastor uh, Ratsara, do you want to answer that? 
I just uh, build on what you have just said. You know, uh, God wants us to exercise our faith. God wants this relationship that he wants us, want us to build it on that. So we, we, can, we can find this, um, the answer to through the experience of Elijah. You see, when Elijah asked for the fire, it was straight. He did not even have time to say amen. Then the fire came down. But when he asked for the rain, he had to pray how many times? Seven times. And Sister White, the spirit of prophecy explains why this. Because uh, God wants to develop the faith, develop the, this relationship uh, of Elijah, uh, between him and Elijah. So we need to go back to God all the time. Not that God uh, is playing difficult with us or insensitive or so on, but it is our way, his way to educate us. He wants us to grow. He wants, he, it is out of love that he's doing this. That, that is so true. Um, you know, there's a statement, and Pastor Paul, I don't have it off the tip of my tongue where it's at, but there's, it says that there are many things that we do not get because we don't ask. I think about my own children when they, I may have had the resources and I may have known what they wanted or needed, but if they didn't ask many times, they didn't get it. But when they ask, they got something. Our Heavenly Father wants to draw us close to Him. And I want to underline this. I got to underline this. Nurture the concept that your Heavenly Father loves you. He really loves you. In fact, in John, I think it's John 15, Jesus says, I don't even need to ask the Father because He loves you. Jesus really loves you. You nurture that, you're going to have faith. Let's have a closing prayer. You want to have that closing prayer for yes. us, please? Let's just stand again as we pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much that you love us so much and you want us to be closer to you. You want us to have greater faith. So here we are, Lord. We ask you, increase our faith. We want to be men and women of faith. And we would like you, Lord, to use us in a mighty way for your glory and for our joy. In the name of Jesus, amen. This message was recorded at the GYC conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to challenge and inspire young people to take a sacrificial initiative for Christ. To download other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.